Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Uh, this is the second part in this uh, series on the Old Testament. And as you recall, I mentioned last time that the Old Testament can be very intimidating for people. And with all of the books and figures and characters and plot development, it can be difficult for people to know how to step into the Old Testament. And certainly that's true for us as well as for those whom you will lead. And so I have suggested that one of the ways, there are many, but one of the ways that we can help people enter into the Old Testament is to understand that there are four figures in the Old Testament which are of particular importance uh, for two main reasons, but the four figures are Adam, Abraham, Moses, and David. And if you understand those figures and kind of start with those four, it can be very, very helpful because we relate to those differently uh, they are all four used in the New Testament as lenses to the work of Christ, and so they become actually a Christological lens for us. They also, are, in many ways, help us understand ourselves uh, because they are also about part of our own anthropology, who we are, where we stand. So we mentioned briefly that uh, Adam, uh, we relate to racially. Adam is the one to whom the whole human race relates to, and Adam all die. Uh, Adam is the head of the human race, so Adam has this racial kind of oversight of the human race. Abraham we relate to in a very different way. Abraham we relate to redemptively. He is not the father of the human race. He's the father of faith. And so that's a very different relationship we have with Abraham. Moses we relate to uh, legally and prophetically as he is the head of the law and the prophets. And then, of course, David we relate to royally or regally in terms of the kingship of Christ and, and God's kingly rule in the world. So we've been unfolding the last time, the particular, the role of Adam. And we're still on Adam and trying to understand how Adam is understood in the New Testament uh, through that lens. We mentioned last time that part of the image of God, which occurred at the creation account, is that we have certain capacities that are given to us at the creation we have, for example, a moral capacity. We have their moral boundaries, their moral capacities we have for right and wrong and choices, etc., that are now ours as part of the image of God. We have a relational capacity both to know God and to know each other in ways that are not uh, capabilities of the created order in the same way. And then, of course, we have a representative capacity. We represent God in the world. We rule and reign with God in the world. And we saw in particular that Adam was a representative man. Uh, Wesley made the, he called him, Adam was a public man, is the way Wesley put it. Meaning that Adam was a capital R representative man in a very unique way that has not been, it's not happened. Adam represented us at that moment, which we looked at last time in the fall, where he took the fruit, and he ate it. And Adam and Eve engulfed us into the fall, which is, of course, the presupposition behind this whole text here today. Now, I have here uh, an apple. We don't know that it was an apple, but this is kind of like the standard fruit, right? Um, when, when, when Adam takes the fruit, when Adam and Eve take the fruit, what I suggested last time was that this became, at that moment, a kind of anti-sacrament, all right? Because a sacrament, as we know, is an outward invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. 
All right, so when we come to communion, we receive bread. I have bread here. Come back to this. This is a show and tell day. <laughs> we have bread. We take this bread. This becomes an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, what Wesley calls a means of grace, right? Oh, an avenue for us to enter into the fellowship of the redeemed. All right, so when Adam takes the fruit, this is an outward and spiritual sign of an inward and spiritual, uh, outward and physical sign of an inward and spiritual rebellion. All right, this is an invitation to enter into the fellowship of the rebellion. All right, this, of course, we know before Genesis, there's, there's been some rebellion in the, in the order of the angelic creation, and so this is now being spread to the human creation. So part of Genesis 3 is this moment, this anti-sacramental moment where, where Adam enters into this rebellion. Now when that happens, of course, as this text makes clear, we are all thrust into a fallen state. Now Pelagius, of course, said, no, 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 everybody is Adam's. We're all Adam's. But Pelagius was determined to be wrong. We, we love Pelagius, you know, God bless him. You know, he made his shot in the fourth century, but he's wrong. Because the tech, this text, among many others, is very clear. I mean, look, look, for example, 15, 18, and 19. I'll read just the first half. The give, give and light the trespass, for the many died by the trespass of the one. All right? Adam trespasses, we all died. Verse 18, just the result of one trespass was condemnation for all. One trespass, we're now all condemned. And finally, just verse 19, just as through the disobedience of the one, the many were made sinners. So at this moment, what we call the fall, the fall of man or fall of humanity, at that moment, we realize there's a, there's a triple kind of result of that. We died, we were condemned, and we were made sinners. Now, once that happens, we have got, you know, a virus you might say, a spiritual virus in the human race. And we are now bent towards sin. You know, you remember the phrase, uh, the Latin phrase from Augustine onward, you know, uh, Adam was posse non pecari, able not to sin. We're non posse non pecari. We're not able not to sin. That means we're in a tough predicament. The whole human race is now bound in sin. This is the problem that is presented before us in this text. Now, that this is possible. There's two kind of doctrines which lie behind this Hebrew, this Romans 5 text. One which we easily understand, which is vicariousness. Somebody could do something because of, for somebody else. That's really crucial. A lamb is sacrificed for your sins. We understand that. It's a very, very important theological basis for this whole thing. Christ or Adam doing things that affect other people. But the other is this idea of being in the loins of somebody. That is totally unfair to us. That's weird to us. So what happened, the Western theological tradition argued a lot about how does sin get passed down? Does this happen through sexual activity, therefore sex must be bad? Because sex is the way you pass down sin? This becomes a huge debate in the church. How is sin, why, why, do we, why are we born sinners? Anyone who has children, of course, knows that the the depravity of man is the most empirically proven doctrine on the planet. <laughs> I know that there's that Lately with the Beaver episode where Wally at one point is asked to wash the dishes and he says, sure, mom. I know that's there, but that's, a, that's an outlier. 
But the, the Jews actually didn't have that argument the way we had. They had a different, different way of looking at the whole thing. Their point was not to say that sin is like a football that gets passed down. We understand, of course, that we are sinners by birth and by choice. And so, so by choice we sin, and therefore we do and sin, in one way pass it down. But the point was it's not a football that's passed down. We were there in Adam. So when he says in this text that um, when, when, when we sin, because, because Adam sinned, all men sinned, or all sinned there in verse 12, is not meaning all subsequently sinned, though it doesn't, it's not less than that, it's all true, but the point is we sinned in Adam. So then we're back in, uh, in uh, one of the other tensions in Scripture, of course, is this resolution. How do you resolve the problem that Jesus Christ is fulfilling both kingly promises and priestly? He's both king and priest. That's a problem. Because the kings come from the tribe of Judah. The priests come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus can't be from two tribes. It's a problem. So yet he has to fulfill all of it. So Hebrews like, this is not a problem. Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek. We're like, well, where did that come from? And then Abraham says, but don't you understand? that Levi was in the loins of Abraham. So when Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, Levi was tithing to Melchizedek. Okay, great. We, now we got it. So the whole point being that they actually conceptualized that when Abraham is there, you know, this is back, of course, in Genesis 14, when Abraham is there uh, giving, giving tithe of the booty from, to Melchizedek, that actually Levi is in the loins because he, all of his descendants of Abraham are inside of him, inside of his body. So when he acts, he's acting on behalf of all that would follow him. That's how it's resolved theologically, like it or not. Read the book of Hebrews. <laughs> all right, so in the same way, Adam, Adam is like that. So it's not simply that we look back in time, you know, and we say, oh my goodness, back then something happened and he did that. It's not fair. It's, that's not how you look at it. You, when Adam was in the garden and Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, you were there. Now, all of us, let's put it in language we understand. You go into a mall. These big malls today, you know, you want to go, you just want to go buy, you know, some blue jeans or some shoes or something. You go in the mall, you're overwhelmed. You, or you want to go to the food court, whatever. So you go in there and most malls have this huge, you know, depiction of the whole mall, Right? And you look, okay, okay, where is, you know, I'm trying to look, you know, where is, you know, Dick's Sporting Goods, where is JCPenney, you know, trying to figure yourself out. But thankfully, someone, someone realized you had to have an orientation point. So what did they do on those mall maps? They put a little sign there that says, you are here. Praise God who ever invented that. I want to give them an honorary degree from Asbury. That was brilliant, all right? That, that way when you go in, you're okay, you're oriented. I know, there, there I am. So when you read the book of Genesis and you read the account, you're not meant to read it like, oh, what happened long ago to somebody else? You read that and you're reading the account and you read the whole thing, the, the, the fruit being passed over. <sighs> he eats. A little sign there. You are here. You are here. Now that's the sinking reality because once that happens, the whole human race has participated in the rebellion. 
Now this means when the human race is still in its diapers, as it were, the whole human race is in the ditch. We are in deep trouble, and there's no way out of it. Now this is where, in a sense, this is like a conundrum. This is like you know, the Gordian knot that no one can untie because everybody is ineligible. There, there's no one on the human race can come along and run the clock back. And how do we run the clock back and get back and do it right? So that's the problem. We can't get back to that point. Adam did something and we were, we were there. We were in Adam. There's no, everybody is in it. That's why we don't have anything against, you know, per se against Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. It's not like, we're not like, oh, we just got to go out and trash these people. We understand there are all kinds of wonderful things and moral things. That's fine. That, that is not our debate with Islam or Hinduism, Buddhism. Our problem is that they're just ineligible. As is every other human religion. I mean, Confucius is ineligible. Muhammad is ineligible. Uh, Buddha is ineligible. Lao Tzu is ineligible. I'm ineligible. You're ineligible. Even Dr. Callis is ineligible. I mean, it goes across the whole human race. It's not, nothing against any of those people. We're all ineligible because we all were there in Adam. Confucius was in Adam too. We're all there. We're all stuck. This is a, this is a Gordian knot. There's no solution because nobody can rise up that's not in Adam. That's the problem. That's what the, this whole, that's what the gospel resolves. Because if everybody is brought into this rebellion, none of us can lead us out of it. There's no solution. Satan's got us. At the dawn of creation, we were had. But see, God, God has a plan. And God's plan was, wait a minute. What if we sent a second Adam into the world? What if God himself enters the world, bypasses the whole problem, he becomes the second Adam, he runs the clock back, and this time he gets it right. See, when you look at the incarnation of Christ, it's, it's about, it's, yes, it's about God coming to earth, but God coming to earth in order to rewrite the whole history of the human race. This is a great plan that affects everything. Christ comes into the world. In Christ, of course, we, we open up our, our New Testaments. We're going to flip through. We see Jesus there in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Turn these stones into bread. You know, fall down and worship me. I will give you the kings of the world. All of the temptations in the, uh, you know, cast yourself down from the temple. All of those temptations there in the, gar in the, in the, in the wilderness, they're kind of like the variation of all the temptations in the world, aren't they? So there they are at the, this moment of temptation with the devil. And every point along the line where we had said no to God, Jesus says yes. Everywhere where Adam disobeyed, this second Adam obeyed. Praise be the Lord. And so we have this wonderful time where here's, Adam, here's Jesus reenacting these moments, and there he is obeying. And when you look at the wilderness account, again, it's not just looking back and saying what happened back then. Guess what? There's a little, little sign there. You are there. You are here. You are here. You are in Christ. You are, now you are obeying. The clock is being turned back. You know, 165 times the New Testament uses the phrase in Christ or its constituent, you know, in Christ, in Christ Jesus or in him. 165 times. This is pretty important theology, isn't it? 
that we're now in Christ, not in Adam. We're in the second Adam. We can take pages, turn the two different pages over. We, then we find Christ there, and there he is, um, you know, confronting the demonic world, casting out demons, asserting the rule of God into the world that's going to rise. And we see the little sign there. You are here. And finally we turn the pages and we get to the Garden of Gethsemane. We're finally back to the Garden again. The second Garden. In the first Garden of Eden, we, the first Adam blew it. We're now in the second Garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's so important to realize that you know, the passion doesn't begin at Golgotha. That's another myth. The passion is the whole incarnation. He's burying us. He's burying the whole weight of human history. The Gethsemane, the passion's already in full bloom. And there he is in the, gar in the Garden of Gethsemane, struggling and fighting. Is he prepared to go the whole way? Satan's desperate to bring the second Adam down as he brought the first Adam down. And remember I told you two weeks ago that from the very beginning, the motto of the rebellion, if you want to say there's a motto, was not your will but mine be done. That's the basis of all human sin. I want to do it my way. So here in the garden at that moment of testing and trial was blood falling or sweat from his head like drops of blood. Jesus in agony says, you know, he first says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Is there another plan? Well, there is no other plan. This is the only way. Everyone's ineligible. There's no other way. This is, a, this is a divine solution that only God can enact. And so Jesus says, and these are the words that, that confirm him as the second Adam, not my will, but thine be done. At that moment, in set in motion, it, all that have unfolds from that. But at that moment, when Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done, there's a little sign there that says, you are here. You were there in Christ when he made that statement, when he affirmed God's will. And of course, the pages keep turning, and we see Christ hanging on the cross. And there on the cross, through the veil of tears, we can't believe this is happening no one ever made choices like that. And yet there he is on the cross, making choices, rewriting the whole history of the human race. Everywhere we disobeyed, this one, this second Adam obeying. Everywhere we said no to God, this, this Adam saying yes to God. And there on the cross, with all of our sins, we see that sign there, you are here. And the great thing about it is when you realize that, that you're in Christ and what God has done for you, you go back to the book of Genesis and you go back to the book of Genesis 3 and the sign, there's a little change in the sign. It doesn't say you are here. It says you were here. Praise God. You were here. You see, Satan, the, Satan's whole thing is to move into the present tense in your life, effectively. He wants you to think that you're still there. You're still in him, in the first Adam. But if you notice what, how Paul deals with this, it's always in the past tense. You were in darkness. You were not a people. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, such were some of you. 
You were led astray. You were enslaved. All this is about past tense. Because now we are no longer in the first Adam. We are in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Present tense. We are in Christ. That's the whole indicative imperative thing of Paul's theology. We remember what God has said. God says, you are now in Christ, so therefore don't live in the first, first Adam. You're now in the second Adam. Don't live like you're in the first Adam. A lot of our lives, think about all of your, you know, this is where the, the, the sacrament comes back in. I can find my loaf. Because this is where, and I just so appreciate Gideon Achi's message yesterday because exactly the point I'll make today. Because when Jesus rewrites the history of the whole human race, He's turned the clock back. He's gone back to the garden. This time he got it right. We now have two heads of two, two races. We have those, under, those in Adam, those in the second Adam. And so when we take the sacrament, we are entering our story into that story because we all have made so many choices that were so horrible. You've made choices. I've made choices which I regret in my life. I've, I've said no to God when I should have said yes to God. But the power is when I take the sacrament, I once again enter into the fellowship of the redeemed. And, I, and Christ's choices become once again my choices, right? I'm now in Christ anew. And of course, Paul makes it very clear that the second Adam isn't like the first Adam. It's so much greater. First Adam in the first garden, followed one trespass. Second Adam, garden, Gethsemane. Second Adam, Jesus bore many transgressions. First Adam unleashed a reign of death. Second Adam unleashes a reign of life. First Adam brought condemnation to the whole human race. Second Adam brought justification to the human race. And the first Adam lost Eden and made us sinners. Second Adam made us righteous, and gives us the new creation. It's not about just getting back to Eden, is it? It's not about just getting back to innocence. It's about going on to the new creation and being in holiness. That's the whole point of the church's proclamation. We're proclaiming what God has done in this second Adam. And now this first Adam can be in our past tense. And Christ is in our present tense. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that you took the story of death and condemnation and being made sinners, and you have woven a new story of justification, of life, and being made righteous. We thank you, we praise you for the good news that when we had a knot we could not untie, we had a conundrum we could not solve, that you in the mystery of the faith, you resolved it by your grace and by your power. Thanks be to God. Amen.